New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Soccer Show, and I'll look back at the international break. In years to come, historians will surely describe this period as an international break. Yes, in this window, we saw the US lose and then win big. We saw Lionel Messi become uninjured and do great things for Argentina. And we saw Belgium, France, Portugal, Spain, Turkey, Austria, and England all qualify for Euro 2024. That's the exhaustive list of all the teams I believe qualified in this break, uh, says my notes here. Joining me today to discuss this and more. Hello, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. I somehow forgot your complete and utter disdain for the international break until about (laughs) one second before you started the introduction. And then, man, was that perfection, Ryan. It's almost over. We're almost there, Taylor. We're almost back in proper soccer times. Good times for all of us. Wonderful. Oh, my favourite. My favourite. <sighs> Graham Rothman, how's your international window been, sir? Oh, it's been joyous, apart from all the really angry, painful bits of it during the, the Spain match and being thumped <laughs> by France as well. But it's, it's generally been a good international break, Ryan. How, how are you? Have your movers finished or are they living with you now? I, I saw on your Instagram <laughs> just how many boxes you had delivered did you yeah. did you pack each individual item you own in its own box <laughs> like your your uh your inventory was like one times lululemon t-shirt in a box one times chili's loyalty card in a box and that's why they took so long to to unload them all is that what happened there see you joke about that graham we had 138 boxes and literally they wrapped individual shoes in paper oh um, so yes that's yeah. what happened <laughs> yeah yeah so wait uh, who's they you didn't wrap your own boxes no moving company did it what are you, the landed aristocracy? Okay, then. All right. All yes, right. Taylor, I'm the landed aristocracy. I have a company packed boxes for me. No, they it wouldn't was Pepe Reina who did it. The first time we moved, when we moved to the US originally, they, they sent us boxes and went, have at it. But this time they said, we're coming and we're going to fill them and we'll expect a tip. There we they, go. They learned their lesson. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, rounding out our pack, it's Mr. Joe Lowry. How are you, Joe, sir? I'm doing great. I've spent this international break undergoing deep voice modulation. Um, mm. So I, I think it's going well so far. I think the early returns are good. Excellent. It's uh, it's like those classic 90s albums you're very aware of, Joe, where they drop yeah. a semitone yeah. to sort of get that lower timbre. It's, it's, it suits you very well. Very it's nice. weird because I was just thinking it's like those 90 albums where they drop a tone to get a semi I forgot the rest <laughs> yeah. of what you said, but that's in my notes too, weirdly <laughs> enough, right? I don't know how we pulled that off. If we want to continue the 90s references, all I was thinking of was the episode of Friends where Phoebe is sick and then her voice changes and she thinks she's all like soulful and edgy. And then jo- Joe does have like 
a, a two pack a day voice right now, and uh, yeah. and I, I think it's interesting, Joe. I That's like how it. I've got the voice, Taylor. Is two yeah. packs a day. Yep. It's, it's very good. Two packs of gum, uh, Sir Alex. Yeah. Is that you? Correct. Very Correct. good. Uh, as I see what we're talking about, oh, Joe. Come on, you must have uh, tried to play along to uh, the Blue Album by Weezer in 1994 and found it's a semitone down. You must have done that at some point. Come I'm on. more of a come Diplo on. guy, part Phoenix uh, Rising owner. Diplo, thank you very much. Um, very so good. I stay brain loyal on that front. Excellent stuff. All right, window. I'm more it happened. Of a Diplo guy. Not a sentence <laughs> I expected in the introduction to this episode. Yeah, all right. Diplo says all right. That. Blame Ryan. <laughs> Guys, blame Ryan for that. <laughs> oh, let's talk about soccer now, shall we? We had a couple of USMNT games, of course, listener, which we've gone into on great detail on the feed. See the feed for details. <laughs> um, Graham, I don't believe you've had your perspective on those games. Uh, what was it? It was obviously two very different games here. I, I was quite intrigued mm. by um, Henry Bushnell had a good article on Yahoo Sports um, after the Germany game. USMNT still not ready for the elite of international soccer after getting picked apart by Germany. How do we feel about that kind of uh, take? Yeah, I mean, I, I broadly agree with that statement, although the friendlies, I'm not really sure what we're drawing from friendlies. Mm. So I appreciate that Germany... In the second half of that game against the US, um, kind of picked apart the, U- the, the US after a good start in, in the first 30 minutes. But nonetheless, I, I, I wouldn't really draw any solid conclusions. I, I only saw the highlights of the two matches, but, but neither really did much to move the needle for me and where this US team is. I expected Germany to win and I expected the US to comfortably, comfortably beat Ghana. And that, and that is what happens, but happened. But the, the first 30 minutes against Germany were encouraging i know pulisic is going to get is, isn't going to stick one in the in the top corner every single match but if the u.s can get a few more moments out of him in that way in a cycle that is that is significant so having pulisic looking more like christian pulisic again is a positive and then watching the the goals against ghana uh, the way that that Balogun seemed to be more involved in the possession play and i listened to um taylor and, and joe's podcast on uh, from uh from monday um or yesterday actually wednesday and they joe i know you were mentioning this as well so that is that is a big positive and and watching that that ghana those highlights from the ghana games one of the celebrations had Balogun, reina and pulisic together in like a little huddle uh-huh. and it just kind of hit me how much potential that trio has like those are three potentially elite level talents and when henry bushnell's talking about the u.s not being able to lay a glove on the elite level those are the sort of players that could change that situation by the time 2026 comes around yeah and i think taylor my takes are very similar to graham's here i think we learned more from my perspective from the germany game than the ghana game just because with all due respect i didn't think ghana were particularly strong in that outing um are you all saying that my claim that beating Ghana means we're going to win the World Cup in 2026 were slightly premature? I'm not saying those are mutually exclusive statements. I'm just saying that uh, I didn't know no. if we had as many learnings yeah. from that one. I think that's probably fair. I, I think the significance of Ghana as an opponent for American supporters is probably why there was maybe slightly more enthusiasm than there would be for people who see that Ghana team as maybe talented but flawed, which is probably what they are and coached by Chris Hutton, which is also what they are for now. Uh, so I, I think you all are probably correct in that it shouldn't have moved the needle that much. At the same time, I think that is the type of opponent that the U.S. historically yeah. might slack off against, ease off just a bit after they get a goal, and then it ends up 2-1 to one or 1-1, one to one, and it's more of a frustrating result. Yeah. My question, sorry, Graham, did you want to did you want to chime no, in about the U.S. It's, 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 like, it's like a bogey team, right, for the U.S. It's like... Uh, 
Argentina for England or Germany for England or Iceland for Except England those or Portugal are for good. England. <laughs> the Iceland were in there, Joe. Yeah. Is yeah. it like that, Graham? Is it like that? Okay. Yes. Yes, well, I say but- so. It did make me wonder, because because uh, Joe put in the documents that we we were interested in what you all thought of the U.S.'s performance. I am interested, broadly speaking, does the U.S. get discussed very much in England? I'm assuming it does not. I'm assuming the coverage is very much England-centric, and then, like, the home nations, maybe Ireland in there. I think it's England, maybe some yawn, of the bring back the Premier League, yawn, okay, the Premier yeah. League's back, let's go. Yeah. And Paul Pogba's hair somewhere in there, probably. Yeah. I listened to, I listened to football ramble after, um, Scotland qualified for the Euros in this break. And, uh, one of their points was that, uh, Scotland had qualified for the, for the Euros by copying England and that they had team spirit. And that was apparently an English thing. Um, I like the football ramble. I must, I must say, but yeah, it feels like it's very England centric, uh, at points. Yeah, I think to answer your question, Taylor, uh, neither Graham or I are in England, it should be pointed out. But um, the yeah, it's very England-centric, certainly the British media is. And I don't think these friendlies, if, correct me if I'm wrong, Graham, but they wouldn't have moved the yeah. needle in, in, in the uh, no, there was, British press. There was absolutely no coverage in, in the mainstream media over there. And unless, over here, excuse me, and unless it's a, a World Cup, you don't really get much coverage at all of, of, the, of the US or CONCACAF. There was a bit of chat of the of the Germany game, but that was because of the, the Nagelsmann thing rather than anything US related. You can't you can't show up to a match dressed as the Kevin James meme mm. and not have people talk about it. <laughs> Do we think he did that on purpose? He's he's talked about it now, hasn't he? Think, Has he? I haven't seen it. What did he say? What was the reasoning? I think he said something like, well, maybe I should wear something plainer so you focus on the game next time. Yeah, yeah, do that. Do that. <laughs> well, I think yeah. I think he also, I forget why he chose that outfit or if it was chosen for him, but he plans to auction it for charity or something That's like it. that. So yeah, he, he, you know, good guy Nagelsmann, good guy Nagelsmann. It does seem like the, the media are interested in what Germany and Germans are doing, because I do think the last time I saw any sort of not even sustained, but just limited coverage of the United States outside of a World Cup or a major event was when Klinsmann was in charge. And it was usually just like, oh, the U.S. lost again under Jurgen Klinsmann. It felt like maybe there were some like Arsenal writers who still didn't like him from his Tottenham days. Indeed. All right. Um, plenty to talk about on this episode. Of course, all the Euro qualifiers, World Cup qualification happening for 2026. Imagine all these nations who have to qualify for 2026. It's all happening at the moment. It feels... Joe, Joe, it feels really far away still to be doing qualifying right now. And we're quite deep in in some of these qualification processes as well. It's a weird timing thing right now because of the last World Cup, right? The last World Cup cut off five, six months on the qualifying cycle and just the World Cup cycle in general. So South America aren't wasting any time. They've got less than three years. I mean, everybody has less than three years right now until the 2026 World Cup, which is a slightly anxiety-inducing statement for me. But I, I, it is. it feels like we were just watching the World Cup final and recording and talking about it. But it's almost been a year since then, and the World Cup qualifying cycle is already shorter anyway. So at least South America is not wasting any time getting to work. Wow. I cannot believe it's almost been a year since the yeah. Qatar World Cup. Yeah, that kind of broke that my seems brain to be while I was thinking about that. Yeah, this, seem, this seems to be the, a thing that like old people say all the time, like years getting quicker. But that definitely is a thing that happens. Like How, is, how have 12 months passed since we were in Brooklyn together? Or Incredible. 11 months. Yeah, my my artery is still slightly clogged from the uh, Popeyes experience <laughs> of that. Uh, you all just New blew York. my mind a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. Like that that is, I'm still having a hard time getting my head around that. That was almost a year ago because that does feel like it was like if you asked me when were we all in Brooklyn, I would have been like four months ago, something like that. So wow, okay, but you know that's how it will feel for the 2026 World Cup. I'm excited for yeah. us all to to get to do that again. 
Time passes quicker as you get older, boomer, I think is the uh, <laughs> the message here. Uh, why don't we start talking about the Euro qualifiers? Graham, you wrote this, um, the uh, running doc that we're going from. You've put Scotland at the top. Uh, yeah. Do you want to explain mm. yourself here? Well, just uh, in the order that teams qualified. So I know England are all, you know, they've just qualified uh, and I, I, they're all giddy about qualifying, but I can barely remember when Scotland qualified. So I put them top of the, it was so long ago, I put Scotland top of the... It was between the last World Cup and now, uh, as, yeah. as a clue for you. I thought I, I was going to give you the benefit of the doubt that it was Group A and you went alphabetically. But no. no, no, I did it in order. That's why England are, are, are fifth, you know, below all the other countries and Scotland top of the list. All right, Graham. So tell us about Scotland's qualification. Quite an interesting one, obviously. Um, qualifying... Getting beaten and then qualifying yeah. without kicking a ball, which feels very Scottish. Um, it and does. then having a free hit against <laughs> France, basically. Yeah, the France game was weird. I spoke on the, the Patreon with Taylor yesterday about this, where we played a second string team. In some places, it was a third st- uh, string team, and we gave debuts to two or three players. And France put out a first string team of Mbappe and Griezmann and Dembele and Giroud and Chiumene and Camavinga. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what we're learning from that, other than France's first team is still very good. Killing Mbappe is still very dangerous as a, as a soccer player. But yeah, it was a weird international break for Scotland where we achieved our ultimate objective while we we're all kind of sitting at home. It gave me COVID vibes, which which wasn't very welcome on, on, on Sunday night. Um, it doesn't get much tougher looking at the game, the competitive game we did play on the Thursday. It doesn't get much tougher than an away match against Spain in Seville. And unfortunately, we had a referee who was determined to make it even tougher for Scotland. But I won't, I won't go on uh, for too long about that. It was a week ago. I should probably calm down at some point about it. But I think playing Spain is... Given that we You're played not going to calm and then, down about that for like five years at a minimum. No, no. Anytime Spain or a Spanish referee or an, any kind of referee is around, Graham is going to have some problems. Graham, yeah. would you uh, elaborate on the incident for dear listener? Yeah. Yeah, so Scotland, uh, the scoreline is nil-nil, 60 minutes have played. Yes, Spain have done the Spain thing of having loads of the ball, lots of pressure. But Scotland are coping reasonably well. And Scott McTominay wins, a, or rather, um, free kicks one up and high on the left side. It's kind of like a, essentially a corner. So everyone's ready for a cross into the box. And then Scott McTominay um, just rifles one into the top corner. The celebrations are wild. Scotland players in the crowd, everything like that. And then after about five minutes, the goal is chalked off after a VAR check. And it was a shambles of a process. So first, the referee awards a foul from a VAR check. Um, he, he sees a foul from Jack Hendry and Unai Simon, the goalkeeper. I am not exaggerating. Jack Hendry maybe flicks him on with a fingernail. There's no contact to speak of. So it was, it was clearly a bad call if it was given for a foul. But then 15 minutes later... The VAR and UEFA say it was for offside. And then even if we're accepting that, and I'm going to do my best uh, sort of Ali McBeal bit here, the laws of the game, going into the laws of the game, I'm going into IFAB laws of the games game here, so skip ahead if you're not interested in this bit. <laughs> um, it says that interference is when you're preventing an opponent from playing or being able to play the ball by clearly obstructing the opponent's line of vision or challenging an opponent for the ball. Um, Jack Hendry does none of those things. Unai Simon is not impeded for making a play on the ball, the shot flies over his and Jack Henry's head into the top corner. So there you go. Maybe one day I'll let go of this. This is my USA at the 2006 World Cup injustice moment. Um, it's not, first of all. But second of all, um, I do. I relatively do really... speaking, Joe, it is. Like, we were denied our big moment of qualification. Relatively speaking, this is our moment on a similar scale. All right. Anyway, it's. Uh, I'm scrolling through my Twitter timeline when this moment's happening, Graham, and, and you... And Tifo's JJ Bull and Tifo do do great work for the athletic, awesome stuff over there Where's on a regular basis. 
also from Scotland. And I'm just trading off, reading through like one tweet from you, one tweet from JJ Bull, one tweet from you, just full on rage and confusion and anger at the situation. I, I am sympathetic because you're absolutely right. That was not the, uh, the right decision from the referee. But it did make for a, a lovely Twitter experience when those seem to be fewer and farther between now than they've been in the past. Yeah, I mean, the thing that is most frustrating about it, and this is this is the point I was getting to, I think playing Spain is the, away from home is the toughest task in international football. I'm not saying they are the best team, but the way that they give you so little of the ball, you need to stay, stay so concentrated for 90 minutes. And then when you do create a chance, you, you better take it because you might not see the ball again for another 15 minutes. The France game, as good as France are, they actually give you the ball and they make you think you're in the game the problem is they slice you right open once every 10 minutes at least through Mbappe or Dembele or whatever but in terms of like concentration and how tense it is Spain away is such a difficult task so when we did take that opportunity when we did everything that we were meant to do and then it gets taken away from you yeah that, st- that sticks in the throat a-, a little bit I have to say okay um was the Ali McBill reference because you mentioned laws was that it that was your yeah. lawyer reference oh, she's a lawyer isn't she sure <laughs> all right I've you guys right have show, seen like pop culture since the 90s yes like music television film <laughs> like right sticking straight I, mid 90s i actually haven't but yeah thank you <laughs> that, was, that was a solid reference for me let's take a quick break when we come back let's talk more about spain also their iberian neighbors portugal maybe talk about some england too back shortly new game day shirt boom cash back food for the tailgate boom cash back even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card and yes i said debit card with discover cashback debit everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases look in sports it's hard to predict who is taking the win but you know what's guaranteed to win discover cashback debit oh and did i mention there are no fees period i'm telling you this one it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk, including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We're talking international break. Uh, we were talking a little bit about Spain under Luis de la Fuente, Graham, before the break. What are we making of this Spain team at the moment? Five wins, one loss mm-hmm. to, uh, I forget who they lost to, but anyway, go on. 
they certainly seem to have, have uh, turned a corner. So they started off their com- campaign pretty slowly. They obviously lost at Hamden to, to Scotland. Um, I watched their home match against Norway, their, their first match that they played in this campaign, and they were a little bit fortunate in, in that match. A bit of a sliding doors moment because Norway have had a bad campaign, and if they get something from that match, maybe that isn't the case. But then over the summer, Spain go and win the, the Nations League, which was a little bit out of the blue, but they have turned a corner since then. And there are there are still elements of Lucho Ball in the way that they play. And, and, and I don't mean that in a good way as much as I've been a big fan of Luis Enrique. So previously at the World Cup, as we saw in Qatar, Spain would do this thing where they would have loads of the ball to the extent that the game, the, the achievement for them seemed to be preventing the opponent from having a single touch of the ball rather than scoring a goal. It was it was too extreme from Spain. And so De La Fuente has been brought in to add a little bit more pragmatism, uh, a little bit more directness. And you can see that in the way that they're playing now. That He does allow them, De La Fuente, to go a little bit more direct. They will cross the ball, which is how Morata scored the opener against Scotland. There is more of an effort to get into the space and behind rather than always playing in front of the opposition defence, although they still do their fair share of that. So there, there has been... Um, improvement. I think he's settling on personnel. So Le, Mor- Le Normand and Laporte is now the first choice centre back pairing. Which, by the way, it is a sign of France's incredible depth that Spain's starting centre backs are French born, but didn't get a chance for for France, and so now they play for Spain, which is essentially what's happened with Le, Le, Mor- Le Normand. That's quite a difficult one to say. And uh, Laporte. Then in midfield, it's uh, Rodri, Gavi, and Marino, which works really, really well. And then in, in attack, De La Fuente has decided Morata's his guy. So Lucho sort of swung back and forth on Morata, but De La Fuente has decided he starts every game. So things have settled over the course of 2023. And just one final thing about Spain, Brian Zaragoza. So he is a guy that Taylor and I spoke about a couple of weeks ago on the Weekend Review. He scored twice for Granada against Barcelona. He then gets his first call up. There is real excitement in Spain about Brian Zaragoza, the way that he just breezes past players when he's dribbling. It's incredible to watch. And he hasn't come through. I was reading an article about him in, uh, in, in Marca. He hasn't come through one of the big academies in Spain. So there's this theory that he hasn't been overcoached and that makes him a little bit different to a lot of the system players that Spain tends to produce. So yeah, he's maybe someone... I don't think he'll start games for Spain at the Euros next summer, but bringing him off the bench, I think he's someone who could have an impact. Graham, do you have any concerns about Luis de la Fuente? Only because, and I ask that only because it does seem like it's gone okay under him. Uh, and looking up a little bit of his background comes through the Spanish youth national team ranks, U19s, U21s, U23s, seen as a more traditional manager, like less of a, oh, this player doesn't fit the system, so he won't be called up. But at the same time, Jorge Vilda, a manager who came through the, the youth ranks and was sort of seen as a Spanish FA guy. And right now that doesn't feel yeah. like the best thing for a coach to be. Do you see any issue there? Or do you feel like that hasn't really been a problem for De La Fuente thus far? Oh, I definitely see parallels between De La Fuente and, and Jorge Vilda. As you say, they're, they were both company men. Of course, Jorge, Jorge Vilda no longer manager of the Spanish uh, women's national team. Now the manager of the Moroccan women's national team. What? No idea how he has ended up in a, a job so quickly. Yep, that is a thing that happened last week. He All was right. appointed to that job. So that 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 is great stuff. Um, but yeah, De La Fuente is similar in the way that he's got the job. Of course, um, looking at off the field things, he was in the front row of the, the infamous Rubiales. Mm-hmm speech clapping along and kind of showing his support to Rubiales so he has faced uh, questions over that he did make a statement a week after that 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 infamous press conference and said he regretted his 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 actions but obviously there are questions about how sincere he was in in, in that statement but um Spain have 
so much talent, and they do have so much talent. Like Pedri, Gavi, yeah. Rodri is currently the best number six in the world, I would say. Laporte oh, yeah, is an excellent sure. central defender. So they have so much talent, Spain, that similar to Jorge Vilda at the Women's World Cup, having a company man in charge might still be enough for them to be successful. Yeah, and the one thing I'll add on Spain quickly, just compared to uh, some of the, the moments we've seen from them in the past, is against Norway in that game. Obviously, you have Erling Haaland staring you down from the number nine spot for Norway. And he has exactly one shot in 90 minutes in this game. Say what you will about Spain and sort of how they can be redundant in terms of how they play in the attack. And, and it can be dull at times. That's absolutely true. I won't argue with any of that. But Graham, your opening point about some of the issues with Lucho Ball and how it felt like they were just playing to deny the opposition a touch at all. Uh, that's a legitimate tactic. And Spain, if they can blend that defensive approach, using the ball to defend with some real consistent danger in the final third, that is the ultimate goal for the Spain team. I don't think they're all the way there yet right now. And international soccer is hard and it's often lower quality and it's really difficult to do that period. But the fact that they limited Erling Haaland so completely in that one to win over Norway, I think is a positive sign for this group. It is indeed. All right, let's go to Group B, shall we? Um, France qualified with a 2-0 win over the Netherlands in Amsterdam. Amsterdam excuse me, uh, Kylian Mbappe with a brace there. Have you guys been following basically what's going to happen in this group with Ireland and the Netherlands yes. playing each other? It's a it very curious. Wild. Basically, the, the, Ireland played the Netherlands in their final qualifier in November, Graham. And they're, because of the nature of the Nations League playoffs, they're technically better off losing to the yeah. Netherlands, who are in second place. Ireland are in fourth place in their group. Um, please elaborate if you can, Graham. Oh, I'm not. I'm not sure if I can. I don't think anyone can actually explain the intricacies of the Nations League playoff rankings. But yeah, you're right, Ryan. They basically at this point, Ireland want the Netherlands to qualify automatically because of the the, the Nations League rankings, so that Ireland then fall into a certain part of the Nations League rankings and they get a playoff out of that. That is yeah. the, the the outcome that they want. While we're on the subject, uh, I find this version of qualifying more impenetrable than any other version of qualifying I think I've experienced because on the surface, it seems straightforward. You've got your groups, the top two advance, and then you've got Nations League in there as well. But why does the third place team also go into playoffs? There's so many ones in which it feels like a team should be eliminated, but they are not. Or there's a team that is like secured qualification, even though they're not one of the top two teams. I'm very confused by how things work. So the best way that I can explain it is the Nations League happens before the qualification campaign starts. From the Nations Nations League, you get uh, rankings from that. Um, And basically, if you automatically qualify through the traditional qualification process, that team is removed from that Nations League ranking. Mm -hmm. And eventually you end up with a a, a table of teams and they take like the top eight and they go into the, the Nations League playoff to qualify. Is the best way I can explain it. I know that's still quite confusing. Wait, okay, so that that makes a little more sense. So that's how, say, Croatia, Italy, Poland are still eligible because they have such high Nations League rankings? Yeah, because they did reasonably we well in the, in the Nations League. Okay, yeah. that does make a lot of sense. Thank you, Graham. Um, for the record, Taylor, I knew all of that. I just wanted Graham to explain it. That's just fair. So, just so I knew that he knew. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, very good. All right, and on so Graham. <laughs> indeed um so yeah france still very good very good uh group d wales with a massive two win over the aforementioned croatia uh armenia and turkey left to play for wales turkey have already qualified armenia fighting to qualify uh life oh, after can I, can I jump in on turkey for a moment uh, i have them later on in the document but since since you mentioned them there 
Uh, this is going to be, based on my limited knowledge of this Turkey team, the Turkey team we see every now and then at the Euros that everybody falls in love with, uh, it's going to be this team. They work very, very hard, and they are a super scrappy team that will get very physical as the situation requires, as they did away to Croatia. Uh, Ismail Yuksek is one to keep an eye on. Uh, all action performance against Croatia. He has the the low socks with bright red shoes, uh, which is always a, a good way to keep an eye on a player. But he is a chaotic defensive player. All action will slam into people, but will also get really timely poke tackles. Uh, he is like what Mickey from Snatch would be like as a player, I think. It's sort of like very skinny, but also seems like he can win any physical confrontation. And I think people are going to end up really liking Turkey because they're not going to stop running and to stop fighting for stuff. So they'll end up getting like a late winner or a late equalizer in the Euros. And I think they're going to be a very fun, if not technically sound, team to watch. Yeah. Was it two, was it 2008, Taylor, they made the run to the yeah, semi-finals, I, so. yeah. I want to say? That's right. That was a fun team. Oh, they're so fun. They, they, they really are. Like, they have their moments where they're really fun, and then they are not very good, and then they come back and they're fun, and I think this will be a fun team. It will be, and they are very much qualified as top uh, finishers in Group D. Wales are in second place, Graham. Um, they are uh, looking to go through. They're not quite secured there at the moment. I'm trying to work out the Nations League permutations. It seems like everyone else can kind of get through <laughs> except for them through Nations League at the moment, but they are in second. Uh, a couple of games left to play. Rob Page with the yeah. uh, the uh, dagger hanging over him at the moment. Speculation over his future at the moment. He's only a year into the job. Um, maybe struggling a little bit, this team, with life after Gareth Bale. They've had a very peculiar qualification campaign where it looked like they were in a bit of crisis after losing at home to Armenia. And as you say, Ryan Rob Page was, was fighting for his job and is still fighting for his job. Before this match, the, the Welsh FA head or chief executive or whatever um, comes out and essentially says and admits that he is he's fighting for his job, that they're considering other candidates. Roy Keane, apparently, is their first choice yes. to replace Rob Page? I mean, I'm here for it, but if I was a Wales fan, I wouldn't be here for it. Um, I kind of want to see the chaos from afar. But yeah, they, they get a big win over Croatia um, to kind of revive their, their campaign and they can still qualify um, automatically. They're in second place. Now, Harry Wilson was excellent in that win over Croatia. Um, they haven't been the most potent attacking threat throughout qualification. So it is important that they have individuals like Wilson who can produce an attack because they don't have Bale to do that anymore. And his first goal where he got on the end of a beefy kifi flick on and then raced in behind was very Gareth Bale-esque. So I think Wales are hoping, look, Harry Wilson is not Gareth Bale. He's not up to the same standard. But in terms of the, the role he plays for this team, I think they're hopeful that Wilson will be the new Bale for them. I kind of pull for Wales a little bit because they're limited in their talent. You look at their squad, like USMNT fans can look at the lineup that they used against Croatia in that 2-1 win, and it's going to look very, very, very familiar from the World Cup. You kind of have a pretty good idea of what their player pool looks like, and I think we all understand that it is not great, but they lean in hard to the idea of playing in transition to going on the break to using BV Kiwi's size, Kiefer Moore up top as that number nine. Like they, they lean all the way in that direction, and it doesn't pay off for them all the time because I mean, even against Croatia, they get the win. They're still playing at a talent deficit. Croatia rock with a midfielder, Brozovic, Kovacic, and Modric. They're playing different games in a lot of different ways, but credit to Wales for getting the job done. I do enjoy their commitment, and, and I kind of wish them the best. Is it, Joe, because you like fictional animals, phoenixes, dragons, etc.? All, all those. <laughs> all those animals. Okay. Bring it. There we go. That's the link. That's the link there. Uh, Group E, Taylor. Albania are in top spot and still yeah, not qualified just yet. Not yet, but they are on their way. Uh, lost their opening game away to Poland. 
They beat Moldova and the mighty Faroe Islands. They drew to the Czech Republic. Uh, so not the strongest of starts, but then they've won uh, all their games since then. So beating Poland at home. They beat uh, Czech Republic in October. So they're 4-1-1, and 11 goals scored, 3 against. Coached by Silvino, which I did not know. Ooh. Six caps for Brazil with Pablo Zabaleta as his assistant. Uh, and they are a very interesting team in that I think they had in this most recent roster seven players who were 30 or older but then they also have a lot of like 21 year olds and under it's a it's a it's a strangely divided team uh Christian Aslani from Inter Milan is probably the most recognizable uh name until they get Armando Roja back who plays for Chelsea uh he was out with injury and remains out with injury but it's just a it's a less heralded team. They don't have as many big names, but I think uh, will be a fun team if they can make it. And uh, especially if some other nations qualify with whom they have historical grievances is how I will phrase it. So we'll see what happens uh, if and when they make it into the group stage and who ends up in their group. Indeed. Wild. Silvino and Pablo Zabaleta as a management group. That's incredible. Is Sil- was, Silvino was like the Arsenal, um, uh, you know, undefeated. Yeah. I believe uh, I believe he's in there. Yeah, Corinthians, invincible. Arsenal, Celta, Barcelona, Manchester City. That's wow. an interesting. He's Brazilian, right? Silvino. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. not thinking of the right guy. So there's, there's not even a there's not even like a national link between those two, Zavaleta and Silvino. Yeah, how did they how did they pluck those? I'm going to guess Man City. I don't know if Zavaleta was there in 2010, which is when Silvino left. Mm, uh, he probably was. I think Zavaleta. Yeah. And then okay, they also a have Dorival, another uh, Doriva, another uh, Brazil international 12 caps for Brazil, uh, who has only ever, I believe, managed in Brazil and is the other assistant for Albania. It's an it's an international group. It is indeed. Uh, quick stop off, Joe, in Group H. Uh, the big news here, San Marino getting their first competitive goal in two years. Uh, a 2-1 loss to Denmark, this was. Uh, it was but it was an equaliser in the second half, so like, an impressive goal for them. San Marino have lost 83 of their 84 Euro qualifiers. The only exception, a goalless draw with Estonia in 2014. But Joe, they went mad for that goal. And good for them, right? I think this is my favorite moment of this international break. There's another great moment in in Bowl that we'll get to later on. San Marino, the worst team in soccer, according to the FIFA rankings, which take it with a grain of salt, but also don't do that because Ryan just explained the really, really poor record, at least in European qualifying. You mentioned that game in 2014 against Estonia. This was an awesome moment. Like the, the context of the moment, I think, made it even even more special than it was. It is an equalizer. It's a corner kick in the 61st minute. Denmark are up one. San Marino take the, the corner kick. It's an in-swinger. It's only partially cleared by Denmark, but then Alessandro Golicini picks it out of the air, and somehow the ball finds its way through a bunch of bodies, hits the back of the net, and everybody on the team celebrates. It's not just the players on the field. It's the subs, everybody wearing those warm-up bibs. It's the goalkeeper racing down from the, his end of the field to pile on what really was a celebration pile for San Marino. I, I have so much respect for this moment. I have so much respect for San Marino for pulling this off. It's awesome. I wish they could have held on to take a point off of Denmark at least. They concede later on in the match. But still, an incredible moment from San Marino. Not a, a country that we usually talk about, but I love this. No, and just to, as a reminder for the listeners, San Marino is basically a landlocked, it's not a principality, like a micro uh, nation. In Italy. In, within mm-hmm. Italy, in the north east of Italy, kind of near Rimini. Uh, I've actually been there. I've got a passport stamp from there because that's the one thing you do when you go to San Marino is get a passport stamp there uh, and look at a castle. That's about it. There we go. (laughs) As soon as Ryan started talking in detail about San Marino, I was like, there's no way he's just generically interested. This is, and then yes, sure enough, because Ryan's been there and has a passport stamp. I thought their celebrations were interesting in that they sort of 
stood in a circle around uh, Rasmus Hoyland and just kicked him. That's a weird. That's a weird celebration for a team to go for. But you know, credit to them. You score a goal, you got to do what you got to do. They're just it's taking out Man United fan rage. Taylor is what yes. they're doing. So I think you <laughs> can fair. thank them. Uh, I will. I will also say uh, a slight view behind the curtain. We have like a, a, a doc that has basically we just kind of add a few like thoughts for what we want to talk about. So Ryan uh, knows who to throw to on occasion. And I am working off an outdated version of that document. So when Ryan threw to San Marino uh, and Joe, I did not have that in my notes. And I was like, wow, Joe is just on the fly <laughs> talking about San Marino. Did not know that he had added that he was excited for their goal. But for a moment, Joe, I was just like, wow, you have observed Everything in global soccer. Well done, my friend. Just stay That's in that headspace. Brand. Taylor, yeah, just okay. stay in that headspace. I did great. You don't need <laughs> yeah. to look into it any further. <laughs> the national animal is a chupacabra. It fits into his phoenix uh, dragon uh, love. He's, he's got great um, love for them. Uh, why don't we go to Group J, where Portugal are topping proceedings under Bobby Martinez. Said it like that just to annoy Taylor. Uh, they've won all late games. Job done. <laughs> uh, they got a, um, it's one of these curiosities of a qualification they've got a six team groups so they've got two more games to go no Swiss system nonsense going on here all pure qualification with added um, Nations League intricacies <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are we making of Portugal Taylor at this present time uh, they look like Portugal to me uh, is the best way I can put it in that they have a ridiculous amount of attacking ability when they are attacking they can look just without peer, uh, and on occasion in this game they did. They they score some goals. They do let Slovakia sort of back into uh, their three to two win uh, in the I think the earlier game of this one. Uh, but I also saw some things about them that I think could be sort of problematic. And I think Graham had the idea that maybe this is a team that look better because the group isn't particularly strong, which feels like shots fired at the Principality of Liechtenstein, but whatever. Uh, but in this game, I had Jao Cancelo uh, shooting with three players around him on a counterattack. Like it was it was a 4v1 and he shoots from 20 yards out instead of passing to somebody wide open. Ronaldo did the exact same thing in a 4v1. Ronaldo twice went for... Uh, crosses when Ramos had better positioning and they ran into each other. One time, I think Ronaldo went for a bicycle and gets the bicycle, but also gets a little bit of Ramos. And so they could have made it genuinely 5-0 at, at one point in this game. And instead, they don't take those opportunities. They let Slovakia back into 2-1. to one. And they end up winning, so it's not that big of a deal. But it just felt to me like there is about Portugal a sense that when they are playing at their best, they are if not without peer, then one of the best teams in Europe. But when they sort of devolve into the individuality that they can easily devolve into, then I think they are eminently beatable. Graham, thoughts on this Portugal team at the moment and uh, their potential at this tournament next year? Yeah, well, obviously the, the poor quality of Group G has to be a, a factor right. in how they have done in, in qualifying. 30, 32 <laughs> goals scored, two goals conceded. So they haven't really been uh, tested in this group. But I think, I'm, I think um, not that Taylor by any measure said that Portugal have been bad or anything like that, but I, I think I'm maybe a little bit warmer on, on, on Portugal in this campaign. I've watched them a, a few times and I've had fun watching them, which is more than I can say for the last few years under Fernando Santos. Um, I also think Mar uh, Roberto Martinez has, has introduced a good degree of, of t tactical flexibility, which Portugal didn't have under Santos. And I would say Belgium didn't have under Roberto Martinez at the last World Cup, where he was wedded to this 4-2-3-1 with Eden Hazard starting every single game six months before he retired for, as a professional footballer. So that is progression for Martinez as well. So against uh, Bosnia, we saw... 
Um, Fernandez on the right side. Um, it wasn't a pure right wing role because Dallo is keeping the width, but he is coming centrally and he is on the, the right side of a, a of a midfield unit. So that was fairly interesting. They had Rafael Liao in a, in a central role and behind Ronaldo. And then against Slovakia, it was a front two of Ronaldo and Gonzalo Ramos. Then in the away game against Slovakia earlier in the campaign, it was a, a, a front three with Liao on the left and Bernardo Silva on the right. It was a back three in the first couple games and then it was a back four again. Cancelo has been allowed to move into central midfield and, and that has worked pretty well. So I hope I hope that continues and it's not just a case of Martinez finding the shape and then he's going to stick with that shape for the next five years because that is ultimately what he did with Belgium. But Portugal have the talent that they they can have that sort of flexibility and, and they can make it work for them. So I've, I've liked, tentatively, given the quality of Group J, I have liked what I've seen from them so far. But Graham, in a, a knockout competition, don't you sort of want that stability, that familiarity of, of a system and a style and an approach so you kind of, the players know what they're doing and then you can have little variations? Or would yeah. you prefer to see Portugal change up their formation, change up their style based on the opponent and just kind of fluctuate from game to game? Um, in a knockout tournament, I don't think it's feasible for a team to change, to be as changeable as much as Portugal have been throughout qualifying. So I think there is probably a sense of Martinez experimenting, seeing what, what works and what doesn't. Uh, but you want a team that can react in some way to the, the opposition in, in whatever way they, they have to. So yeah, some, some tactical flexibility and, and, um, formational flexibility would, would be welcome. And we didn't really see that from Portugal at, at the last World Cup. We haven't really seen that from Portugal for a while. And they're too good a team in terms of the players to be boring. So if they're fun, that's an improvement for me. I'll, I'll have more fun watching them. Joe, that's an interesting point Graves made there about them being fun and not boring because Portugal tournaments aren't a team I associate with being fun to watch. Is nope. that fair? No, you can blame Fernando Santos for that. I think he, and, and really what Didier Deschamps has done with France and to a, maybe a slightly lesser extent, Gareth Southgate with England, and I know we'll come on to talk about England in, in not too long. They have all taken pragmatism to the extreme and it has made that collection of talent look like less than the sum of their parts. Not that they haven't been effective. Portugal won a major tournament under Fernando Santos. France won a World Cup under Didier Deschamps. And they're it was contenders. under Ronaldo, actually, Joe. He there it is. There it is. Right. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. that. Like these teams win games, their talent is ridiculous. They have such wide margins. But for a manager to come in and, and maybe try to do some in possession stuff with Portugal, as a neutral, I am stoked about that because it would actually make that collection of talent more fun to watch. The thing that I didn't expect us to talk about on today's show is Graham Ruffin saying anything positive about Roberto Martinez. I know. <laughs> I am. I'm kind of still recovering. No one has been about as shocked about this as I have been. Graham, yeah. are you okay, buddy? Coming up next, Ryan's going to praise Giorgio Chiellini. That's, gotcha. that's the next segment. Wow. No, he's not. Man, this is backwards day. It really is. <laughs> uh, Graham, in our document, you've put some uh, some praise or at least some love behind Luxembourg. What's the What's the story there? Yeah, so Luxembourg have been one of the best stories in, in Euros qualifying. I, I wrote about them for the newsletter a couple of weeks ago. So they had, they had 10 points from their first five games. Um, which is quite remarkable given that Luxembourg not so long ago were classed in the category with San Marino. If they came out of the, the, the hat in a draw, if you were in an, op an opposition team, you were counting that as six points on the board. But they have greatly improved, dramatically improved over the last few years. So they were in a pretty good uh, position to qualify, but they got just one point from games against Iceland and Slovakia, two teams that they'd actually beaten already. So it was realistic or feasible for them to to, to beat them. And that probably means they will now miss out on the Euros. Okay. So I'm sad about that. But here, here, okay, here is where I'm confused. So Group J, Portugal, 24 points, uh, eight wins from eight games, not bad. They've qualified. Yeah. Slovakia, 
uh, I believe have uh, can qualify directly. They can also go through the playoffs. But then Luxembourg, uh, according to Wikipedia, have an X next to them, which means assured of at least a playoff spot. Now, why Nations is that League. the case? Because they are in League be- C or D, I believe. But they, but they, did they not win their? So I think they won their their League D group, which means they get a playoff through through the Nations League. So it's it's either your ranking in the Nations League, or if you won your Nations League group. Uh, yes, actually, yes. <laughs> why not just so, so let everybody? Scotland, why do you even do this? Why not just let everybody go? What are we doing? So here? Scotland, we we won, which is how we won. We got promoted to League A. We won le- uh, League our League B group, and so we had we always had a playoff in our back pocket that was secured. But Ireland, who were also in our group and we finished ahead of, could still get a playoff through the Nations League through that ranking. So yes, okay. is the answer. And then the commissioner gets to select two two teams as well. Is that how we're doing this? <laughs> What? It's slightly convoluted. <laughs> I'll give you that. But honestly, if one's Scotland are very much, I feel like Ryan is not up to speed with this stuff because England just qualify automatically. But if you're in the world of this mattering, it does kind of make sense. And Scotland have been uh, in that world. So yes, Luxembourg um, still could qualify through the Nations League. I've only been to Luxembourg once in my life. I didn't get my passport stamped like Ryan did Aww. in San Marino. But my memory of Luxembourg was that there's loads of fuel stations there. Uh, which is a weird memory to have of a country. And now it seems they'll be staying there for the summer and not heading to over the border to Germany. Wow. Sounds like you drove through Luxembourg then, Graham. Yeah, I did. I don't think I even stopped. <laughs> did you not well, maybe start to get fuel, but... <laughs> there it is. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about England. We're going to talk about the Commonwealth World Cup qualification and much more back shortly. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attention to Group C and England, who qualified for Euro 2024 with two games to spare. Had to beat a team to do it, unlike Scotland. That team was Italy that England had to beat to qualify uh, with a 2-1 win at Wembley Stadium. Jordan Henderson in the team, Graham, getting booze at Wembley Stadium. Harry Maguire sticking up for him in the press. Uh, he came off for uh, Calvin Phillips in this game. <laughs> that's uh, how you. Sorry, sorry. That's how you know things are yeah, bad, right. right? Harry Maguire sticking up for you in the press. <laughs> just, that's not what you want. I just picture Jordan Henderson like doing a post match interview and being booed, like just like boo. And then Harry Maguire takes the mic to to say something, and the, just the boo intensifies into a full on <laughs> yeah. like boo. Like the two of them on mic together is going to be unpopular. I have to believe. Indeed. Uh, by the way, 3-1 win over uh, Italy, not a 2-1 win, as I previously mentioned, just to uh, n- correct that point. But uh, I think this is a interesting England team, Graham. It is the, the, the Jordan Henson element of it is the curious part of it. 33 years old, not playing in a top league. 
not very popular among English fans for yeah. his move to Saudi Arabia, which not uh, is not in itself controversial, but maybe he's seen a bit hypocritical in his move there as well. So um, that seems like an element of the team that might not be there next summer. Well, perhaps not. But the the thing that gives me hope as a Scot that England will uh, fall short again next summer is (laughs) Gareth Southgate (laughs) and the fact that his loyalty to certain players is, in a couple instances, becoming a bit of a problem. It's a problem with Jordan Henderson. Obviously, the discussion around him going to Saudi Arabia and him previously being an advocate for uh, LGBTQ plus rights as Liverpool captain is an important one. But even setting that aside and just looking at the footballing um, aspect of things... Is he good enough for this England team? I mean, what does Gareth Southgate learn from starting him in a friendly against Australia as he did last week? I just don't really understand what the thinking is there. And of course, we've got the the whole Harry Maguire situation as well, where uh, Southgate has very much pinned his, 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 his colours to the mast with Harry Maguire and he's not going to shift and he will likely start for England at the Euros next summer, even if he, he is fifth or sixth choice in, in the pecking order at Manchester United. So that would be a concern for me if I was a, a, an England fan, but then maybe Jude Bellingham will just win the Euros all on his own because from a, a Scottish perspective, uh, Jude Bellingham is a problem. He's a national security concern to Scotland at this moment <laughs> and to, to, to Germany, to be honest, because it dawned on me the other day England have the opportunity to avenge Euro 96 next summer. And I don't love the thought of that, to be honest. Oh, that's a tantalising prospect, Graham. We already avenged Euro 2020 this past week, so uh, avenging that one. Sure you did. <laughs> it did in my head. A, a win in a qualification uh, group that you're already uh, all but secure in equates to winning yeah. the Euros on home soil. Against yep, the powered Italy team. Yeah, there we go. I think that's a, a perfect e- equation there. Um it's it's a, it's a good point, though, about the players who may not be getting the full minutes uh, in their regular games. Harry Maguire, Calvin Phillips is another example of that as well, isn't he? I think he needs yeah. to go and get some minutes somewhere in January, potentially. Um, you want all these players to be playing regular 90 all the time. But, um, I mean, I look at this team, I look at even the team that started against Italy. It's got the double, pi- double pivot of Rice and, and Phillips going on, uh, at least at the start of this one. And it still looks really, really strong. Joe, what's, what's your thoughts on it? I mean, Bellingham and Kane, obviously... Uh, two of the most important players in this team who don't actually play in England, interestingly. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, Joe. I I didn't, Ryan. I'd I'd never heard about Harry Kane moving to Bayern Munich, and we've certainly never (laughs) talked about Jude Bellingham at Real Madrid. So this is, I think, the first time I or the listeners are hearing about this. There you go. It's it's the same England, just with a slightly better Jude Bellingham. Like, you look at this lineup, and and you can sort of go through and do the little pregame check, right? Okay, we know Gareth Southgate wants to be conservative. That's generally his approach. Even though it's not always beautiful on the eyes, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing as a a blanket tactical approach. You look at three different players in the lineup. You see Kieran Trippier at left back. You think, okay, there's one we can check. He's going to stay a little bit deeper. You see Calvin Phillips in midfield. Check. There's a conservative, relatively deep midfielder. And there's Declan Rice. Check. He's going to shield the back line. He's going to play some conservative balls. Not that these players aren't good players who can pull off incredible things with the ball at their feet because they can. But it is, it's the same England squad that we're used to seeing. Gareth Southgate very clearly has his guys. He's going to monitor the developments of key players. And Jude Bellingham obviously has been the highest profile England player in the world, regardless of whether they're playing in England or Spain or whatever, right? That is Jude Bellingham right now. He doesn't score in this win against Italy. Harry Kane scores twice. And Harry Kane is still one of the best number nines in the world. So this England team can beat anybody on any given day. Briefly, can I flip it to Italy just for for one second? Because this Italy team, there's been a lot of discussion about them and sort of their failure in this game. They take the lead early on through a a pretty nice goal from Skamaka. 
Then they concede three. This is an Italy team that's missed the last two World Cups. They lose on a heartbreaker to North Macedonia in qualifying in the last World Cup qualifying cycle. This Italy team, I think, is still among the better teams in Europe. I mean, they just won the last edition of the Euros. There is still a ton of quality in this team, but things are, are very much not going well for them. They change managers. It's Spalletti in. Obviously, he's not had now the best start to his time in charge. Now there's the whole betting scandal, which we may come on to talk about at some point down the road, uh, losing a couple of Italian national team players and that whole thing. And then you look at the makeup of their squad, even forgetting those midfielders that are suspended. You look at the forward line. With Chiesa injured, you're not particularly afraid of this group. But Chiro Moble, you know, not, not in the squad as well. You look at the back line as well. I think Acerbi is one of the best center backs in the world. I'm a huge fan of his game. But this is a far cry from, at least in terms of the center back pool, where we think of Italy being when they're at their peak with Chiellini and Benucci. Like, this is not the same group as it used to be. And I think you can apply some of that same drop off in the forward positions as well, which should be a concern for Italy. Yeah, Ryan, uh, question for you. What is the sort of sentiment towards the Italian national team uh, from your time in Italy? Is it a like, we hate you, but we love you? Is it a love, we love you, but we hate you? Like, how much frustration is there towards this program? Because as we've talked about, it's had crazy amounts of success, but more recently has had the opposite of that. Um, I think it's a subjective question based on the people I've spoken to about it, I suppose. But the sentiment generally is very positive about national team in my experience. Having When I moved there, it was just after Euro 2020 and obviously mm. didn't have a World Cup to talk about. So things didn't really, the national team doesn't get talked about very often, um, certainly around that World Cup time. And I'd say that's generally true. Like if you talk to, if no, it, seriously, if you talk to people at soccer in, in Rome, they'll talk about Roma or Lazio. They're not the, the national team conversation isn't a huge conversation. Obviously, when they're playing, it will be. But um, I, I think like- they're aware that this team has issues, and obviously Spalletti's got a difficult job on his hands at the moment. But I, I generally get uh, the sense that they th- they're very proud of the national team, and they think they they think it's in a good spot generally. <laughs> They're worried about a, like a, a lack of talent, though, right? It's yeah. fair to say, like in terms of coming through. Serie A was always home to the best Italian players, and obviously that's still the case to a certain extent. But I think it's fair to say that the best Italian players in Serie A are no longer as good as as, as they used to be, and there's not many coming through. So you end up getting players like Bonaventura, who's brought into this squad at the age of 34, has been very good for Fiorentina this season but Spalletti and Mancini before him are kind of scrambling around for different solutions because there's not those obvious players between the age of 20 and 25 who in previous generations you're like right that's the next guy that's the next guy that's the next striker they don't really have those those obvious players and so they're having to be a little bit more creative with who they're calling in yeah I mean players like Raspadori coming through a little bit I suppose is a is a small example of that but generally speaking I'd, I'd agree with that Graham yeah um, let's move on, shall we, to Conobol qualification for the 2026 World Cup. They're getting stuck in. They're four match days in. Goodness me. Argentina atop of Conobol qualification. They've won all four of their games. Uruguay are in second spot. Brazil are third. They've only won two of their games. Uh, we'll start off with Argentina. They beat Paraguay at the weekend 1-0. Then a 2-0 win over Peru. Lionel Messi with a brace, Taylor. He's back. He's not injured anymore. He's fit for Argentina. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Did I miss something? Is that, is that not a bigger deal that he's playing for Argentina, Joe? Where, whereas he was not playing for Inter-Miami? Or is that just sort of uh, how it was expected to play out? Uh, he did play for Inter Miami in the game right before this international okay. break. So he comes he comes off the bench against FC Cincinnati on October seventh. 
then comes off the bench for Argentina against Paraguay on the 12th. That's a week ago as we're recording today. And then starts and scores against Peru just, mm-hmm. just in their most recent game. So Lionel Messi was injured. There was an issue there. He has been having some fitness problems. But him ramping up in that way doesn't feel irregular to me. He's also made it quite clear, Joe, in the press uh, in Argentina that he intends to play this weekend yep. in Charlotte, North Carolina. Goodness me. He oh, was is actually, that the game uh, you've got tickets for? It was the game I tickets for before I sold them for three times what I paid for them, <laughs> Graham, because I thought he wasn't playing. <laughs> Ryan, come on. That Don't is, worry, I'll find my way in. Find that my is way an extraordinary worry. stroke of bad luck. Like there is, yeah. <laughs> there is not really a reason for Messi to play. So Inter Miami have a tour coming up in, I believe, China. It's going to be in November, from what I, I recall from seeing other people report that. And, and this game means nothing for them. They're already out of the playoffs. They can uh, play spoiler, I guess, which is always fun. But there, there's nothing really for them to play for. So Messi talks after this Argentina game and says, I'm going to play in the game. And Inter Miami at that time still had two games left. So everybody was kind of confused about what on earth he was talking about. There was speculation that maybe he didn't know they had two games left, which is what I hope was happening. But realistically, he was never going to play last night in a game against Charlotte, which was in Miami. He did not play in that game after just having played for Argentina. Yeah. But he yeah, was there, though. It, yeah, he was. And it sounds yeah. like he's going to very much play for the game that Ryan may or may not be going to. I'm going to try my bestest. Because, but, uh, yeah. but Argentina, to, to do a beat on them, they are flying right now. They're four for four from qualifying, 12 points. They are five points clear at the top of the table, which is ridiculous after just four games. And they're eight points clear of the last qualifying spot. So Argentina can kind of take a deep breath. I think they've got this one wrapped up already now, especially with the expanded qualifying format, 48 teams in 2026 and beyond until we hit 96 at some point down the road. Like Argentina have made it. They are playing some good soccer right now. And not least because they have the best player in the world still playing on their team. If you go through and watch some of Lionel Messi's actions from this game against Peru, and I have a soft spot uh, for Peru. So my best friends are, are from there. And like this, they're playing different sports out here. Like Messi, the stuff he's doing with the ball, he looks refreshed. He looks like he's just breaking in at Barcelona again. They, Peru just could not handle what Argentina have. They have Julian Alvarez, a player that, that Taylor has always backed from day one, I believe yep. is the best Manchester City striker. Yep. Like this Argentina team is scary good. They are right up there with the best in the world after winning that World Cup trophy. I'm, I'm just confused because none of the three of us are Peruvian, Joe. So ah, how can, right. How can yes. all your best Sorry, friends I be meant, Peruvian? Uh, the United States, Scotland, and England are the teams that I have a soft spot for. Yeah. Thank, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yes. Humble brag about other friends <laughs> elsewhere. Goodness me, Joe. Whatever next. Um, well, should we talk, Joe, about Brazil, who had a 2-0 loss uh, at Uruguay? Darren Nunes and Nicolas de la Cruz with the goals for Uruguay. Their Neymar coming off in the second half with what looked like a very serious injury at the time. And it was confirmed. He has torn his ACL and meniscus in his left knee. Uh, he's going to be out for some time. So not good vibes in Brazil all around, Joe. No, but his Saudi club got him a Panini sticker in the uh, announcement tweet about this. That uh, this. so weird. Have you guys seen this? Graham's seen no, it. Ryan and Taylor are looking at me completely blankly. The graphic that his Saudi club post <laughs> as like a announcement that Neymar had 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 those injuries is like the wildest injury graphic. You'll, it looks like a player signing hype announcement, but it's just Neymar on the ground with his hand up, like holding his leg in agony. Writhing in pain. <laughs> it is. It is. It's so terrible, but also it's it's really funny at the same time. So I hope Neymar comes back and is better than ever because at this age, that's not necessarily a guarantee. It's a big blow for Brazil, even if it's a big win for the content machine. Uh, what I will say about Brazil is even to go back one game from that 2-0 loss to Uruguay, which I think is a surprise. But I'll be honest, I think it's less of a surprise than them dropping points at home to Venezuela. 
in this 1-1 draw in Brazil. Brazil do not lose. They do not drop points in Brazil against Venezuela, who is one of the lowest quality teams in South America. Brazil dominate the ball. Taylor's just now seeing the graphic. I wish, listener, you could see his reaction. He shook. Why why did they do that? It looks like he's been uh, shot. Like, it looks yeah. like he's genuinely screaming in pain. Yeah. Oh, but like in a wow. PR is good you know? PR. It's like, wow. ooh, maybe this is a fun thing. Uh, anyway, it's it's an absurd graphic. Wow. But this loss, this this draw, that I guess feels like a loss in some ways for Brazil. They couldn't put Venezuela away, even with a 1-0 lead. And and that kind of happens, right? You think, okay, we well, can't break through and grab the second goal. Brazil's still controlling the game until Eduardo Bayo scores a bicycle kick in the 85th minute to equalize and help Venezuela steal that point in Brazil. It's a good cross in from the right side. It is a sick bicycle kick inside the box, left foot straight to the bottom corner. Nothing Brazil could do about it. Like that is, that is absolutely shocking. And this and that tuna loss to Uruguay all happen with the backdrop of their bizarre managerial situation. So Fernando Dins was hired in July on a 12 month deal that's set to expire when it is because that's when Carlo Ancelotti's Real Madrid contract expires. And Brazil have made no um, mixed signals about their desire to have Carlo Ancelotti come in and coach their national team. That is the plan. So Deans comes in and he's still coaching Fluminense as well. And so he's doing two jobs right now for the price of one. Well, really for the price of two is what he's doing it for. <laughs> so I don't have a ton of sympathy there, but he's coaching at club level and at the international level, which is not something we see hardly at all. We saw one of the teams I previewed for the Women's World Cup had had something similar going on there. I believe Haiti had a coach that's coaching national team and club team. This doesn't happen, and it, it doesn't happen for one of, if not the highest profile national team in the world. Brazil are in a crazy spot right now, and it's kind of crazy that they can waste all this time on the managerial side, and Neymar can get hurt, and let's be honest, they're still going to qualify for the World Cup. They are indeed, as are Graham, or it seems they will, Uruguay, doing very well under Mr. Marcelo Bielsa at the moment. There was a good story of a Leeds fan, I don't know if you guys saw it, um, they noticed he didn't have his bucket in place in Uruguay, and they sort of they, they flew over a Leeds bucket for him, and they travelled with him and got their picture taken with him, which is a nice uh, bucket-related well, Leeds, story. The Leeds fan flew over the bucket yeah. for him, not yeah. not the Uruguayan FA. They weren't no. like, where in Uruguay, in Montevideo, are we going to find a bucket? We better go to Leeds to find one. It makes a bit more sense if the Leeds fans delivered it. They did him. indeed. That's, that's a nice story. Heartwarming. Yeah. Yeah, and Bielsa Ball is, is such a good fit for this Uruguay team and we certainly saw that against uh, Brazil we saw that in the first window as well I remember maybe Taylor and I talking about this uh, with an, an international roundup um, against Brazil Brazil were able to play through at times but the energy that, that Uruguay had and the counter press and the directness and going forward uh, like they did for the opener where all of a sudden it's a throw in over on the far side of the pitch and then all of a sudden Brazil are turned and facing their own goal and, and Uruguay are flooding forward and committing bodies forward. And I, I love watching it. Darwin Nunes is perfect for a Bielsa team he, and he was such a threat for Uruguay in this game against Brazil. He was getting in behind, he was getting on the end of crosses. He scores the first one with a sort of stooped header and then he scraps inside the box for an assist on, on, on the second goal. So it's obviously a long way until the 2026 World Cup, but I am already putting a marker on Uruguay. I feel like they could make an impact on that tournament. There you go. 2030 hosts Uruguay getting it done at the moment. Uh, a couple other quick hits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's happening. Remember that? That's a thing. Yeah. Oh. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to Pakistan, who have uh, yeah. they've, they've advanced to the second round in AFC, Graham. They won their first ever game, 1-0 over Cambodia in Islamabad on Tuesday. Well done to them, Graham. Yeah, and the celebrations at full time were, were amazing. Grown men in tears and players down on the ground. And, and that's what I love about the World Cup. It's not just about 
the team that lifts the trophy at the end of it. There are so many little triumphs along the way. Unfortunately, some countries that won't be triumphing in 2026 um, because teams are already getting eliminated from qualifying, which seems ridiculous this far out, three years out from the tournament. But Guam, Mongolia, Cambodia, Sri Lanka, Timor-Leste, Macau, the Maldives, Laos, Bhutan and Brunei, um, we can officially say will not be at the 2026 World Cup. So hard lines for them. Indeed. Guam's a U.S. territory, by the way, like uh, Puerto Rico or every tourist restaurant in Rome. Uh, 170,000 population, <laughs> tiny Pacific island in Micronesia. Just, I'm just reeling these off the top of my head, by the way, Graham. Guam. Uh, of course. Uh, you don't have the Wikipedia page yeah. open or anything. No, like no, not at all. They play in the AFC, not the OFC, which is curious. I'm not quite sure why that's a thing, but... Um, given that geographic location, but there we are. Uh, one more game to hit, or one more team to hit on, Joe. Can we uh, hear a little bit about Mexico in this window? Absolutely. So Mexico now under permanent manager, well, in as much as managers are ever permanent in soccer and certainly in Mexico, Jaime Lozano, they have some better results in this window. They take care of business against Ghana, winning that game 2-0. And then they draw with Germany, which is something that the U.S. could not do in a friendly. They draw that game 2-2. It's progress for Mexico after struggling a bit to to actually come out with results in the September window under Lozano. I, I don't think Mexico have made any massive strides forward, to be honest, in terms of the player pool. They had Chucky Lozano back for this window, and he was playing and playing very well, and you could see how dangerous he is when he's involved in this team. Still, even though maybe he's he's quite not not quite in his peak at this point, we're still waiting for Mexico to give us a bit more clarity on the number nine situation, where it feels like Jimenez is the obvious option based off of club form, but doesn't seem like Lozano in Mexico necessarily feel like he's the obvious starter in that spot. So there's still a lot of things up in the air. Their player pool hasn't massively changed since the U.S. took care of business against them over the summer. But Mexico still have a solid baseline of talent. They have the quality to be in any game. And they showed that certainly in that draw against Germany. All right, it is time to slam the international window shut for another few weeks. There's another one in November, goodness me. But for now, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much for joining us on this intrepid journey. Thank you, my friend. Graham Ruthen, pleasure as always, my good man. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And Joe Lowry's semitone down. Thank you very much, sir. You're welcome, Ryan. Oh, that was a nice one. Listener, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 